Welcome to Dry Clean Only, Conversations on Fashion and Style. This is episode 15 in conversation with Zero Maria Cornejo, partner and president, Marisha Warnica. I'm your host, Kristen Cole, in Tribeca today with some gorgeous spring weather. I'm a fashion consultant and advisor with 20 years experience in the industry as a fashion director, a high concept experiential retailer, founder, and buyer. I'm a forever fan of high fashion, great design, and big ideas, and that's what I'm here to share with you on this podcast. Okay, so we are in June 2022, and today I'm just going to jump right into the interview because there is just too much heaviness and heartbreak in this world for me to get into much more today. Luckily, we are here to talk about fashion, and fashion, though a fantasy and escape industry, has plenty of its own challenges and problems, but they are so much more manageable and surmountable than out in other spheres in the world. So it's exciting to touch on this and to discuss these topics with the lovely Marisha Warnica, whom I've had the pleasure of knowing for many years. She is the president and partner in Zero Maria Cornejo, and today we touch on many things about her career and brand, but mostly about staying power, about navigating businesses through crisis, commitment to brand values and ethos, and the bright light that is a dedicated community. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for joining, Marisha. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. So you are uh, in Brooklyn at your place? I am, yeah. I'm in uh, Fort Greene, where I've lived for 22 years. People are always kind of shocked at that, but yeah, I love it. It's amazing. And you and Maria are both in Brooklyn and then obviously work in in Manhattan. Yeah, our office is on Bleecker Street between uh, Lafayette and Bowery, and that's where our store is as well. So we have our office, our showroom, our design studio, our production offices, everything in the same place. Yes, love it. It's so it's such a like beautiful, warm, tactile store. It's really nice. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that was the sort of that was the way Maria started it. You know, yeah. back in 1998, she had a little tiny space on Mott Street in yeah. Nolita. So a couple of blocks away from where we are now. And, you know, it was always about the store being in the front and the design studio being in the back. And, you know, it was much tinier then, obviously. Yeah. But um I think that connection between the two sides um, has always been an intrinsic part of what we do. And I think it's really vital to the way we've evolved as a company over the years. And I think it, you know, makes a lot of sense for us. You really know your customer, right? Yeah, we really do. And I love it. I mean, I'm always in the store, you know, if I can be I sort of, I can hear what's going on in the store from my office and I'm always yeah. like sneaking to the front. You know, I, I enjoy that part of it a lot. I think it's, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's what it's all about. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of what else we do at the end of it all, it's about a woman standing in front of a mirror and looking at herself and going, oh my God, I feel great in this. I know. You know, it's so true. Yeah. I feel like so many people and, and so many designers who don't have their own stores or don't travel, you know, to other retailers, they're like missing that link of, you know, the, the end consumer, which is like what all that work is about, you know? 
Completely. That's exactly right. I always thought that that's important. I started my career, you know, working on Saturdays in a in a little store around the corner from where I lived in London. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that was deeply ingrained. And weirdly enough, the, the place that I worked when I was 16 was in some ways similar to what we do now. You know, that she designed a lot of her own things. And uh, so we had a design studio in the basement. And, you know, she you know, it was all very sort of done in house and she made everything in London and in the factories in, in uh, you know, London's garment district. And so I sort of feel as though in a way, in a way I've sort of come home. It's yeah. quite strange. But yeah. I think that that connection so nice. to the customer has always been really important to me. Yeah. And you guys, I, I know from experience, um, you guys do a lot of traveling for trunk shows and supporting your wholesale accounts. What cities have you had a great response in? Do you feel like you really know your customers in other markets? Yeah. I mean, we we go every season. We go to Texas. We have a yeah. very strong business in Texas, yeah. in Austin and in Houston and in Dallas. And now increasingly, there's a couple of other uh, cities in the state. And it to be honest, that was a surprise to me when yeah. that first started to happen. I had really, I guess I had an English person's preconception of what yeah. women in Texas are like. Mm -hmm. And so what I think is interesting is how independent minded yeah. Texas women are and how they're not sheep. They dress for themselves. Yeah. And I think that's very, I think it's uh, that um, character that makes them respond to what Maria designs. You know, I think what we yeah. do has that sort of independent minded streak. And For I sure. think that though, you know, Texas women respond to that. Yeah. So we do very well, particularly in Austin. We've had a long relationship, as yeah. you know, yeah. with a store called by George. Mm -hmm. And um, then we work in Houston with a store called Kickpleet and yeah. in Dallas with um, Stanley Korshak, uh, <laughs> with Brian Bulky, yeah. who started conservatory. Great. So yeah. we, you know, do we're doing well there, and of course, yeah, that's great. But no. the other place we do really well is California, and in particular mm. Los Angeles, where we used to have a store, um, yes. and we miss having a store there. But yes. we went back last season. We went back in October to do a pop up. And it was great. You know, we had we reconnected with all our clients there yeah. and uh, we want to do more of those in, in L.A. Yeah. I mean, you guys have such a perfect aesthetic that ease to your to your line um, that just works so well in Los Angeles. Yeah. The Zero Maria Cornejo store was kind of pioneered the um, the Melrose Place shopping district. Yes. And I had my first store right behind you guys. But it's it's crazy how expensive it's become and you know yeah. so many yeah. got pushed out which is such a bummer but yeah I could see that client being so great for you guys yeah it's an old story you know I mean it's, yep. it's I think also Los Angeles has a very accelerated sort of life cycle of of, of neighborhoods you yeah. know of some sort of shopping neighborhoods yeah. you know there was a moment when third street was you know where it was all at and then totally. uh then it was Robertson and yes. then Melrose Place and I think that, you know, our landlord was very keen on raising our rents very fast yeah. and it became increasingly just impossible to do business there. And our lease was up 
actually in June of 2020. And so we just decided, you know, we we had already decided that we were going to close that store because we just were not going to be able to afford to blessing in disguise, you know, 2020. Exactly. So, yeah, that was. And so, yeah, but it was it was it was heartbreaking, actually, especially during that time to have to go in June and close it all down and, you know, so it out. It just felt very sad. Yeah, it's sad. Close ending of one one chapter. Where did you guys what neighborhood did you pop up in when you went? We have a friend called Sonia Boyajan, who's the mm-hmm. most amazing ceramicist and yeah. jewelry designer and most wonderful human being. Yeah. And she has a beautiful space over on La Brea, okay. um, sort of close-ish to North Sycamore, where Jeffrey Deitch is, that area yeah, where Jeffrey Deitch area. is and where cool. Just One Eye is and Rick Owens. And so she has an amazing, she has a store in the front, which was designed by Pam Shamshiri, which is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then in the back, is a big sort of open studio space. So, yeah. you know, and she deliberately created it like that to enable her to do pop-ups there. And in fact, during COVID, so she started doing ceramics classes for kids there. So it was Cute. kind of amazing, but it yeah. was great. It was really lovely. And it's a natural relationship with her. Pam Shamshiri is a client of ours. A lot of the gallerists that Sonia's friends with are, are clients of ours. So it was a very natural yeah. synergy. That's cool. Speaking of kind of art and art world, um, you guys, I, I definitely associate the brand with women in the art world who wear your line. How did that connection happen? Is it or was it organic or I mean, you and Maria are very, um, you know, engaged with the New York art world. How did that kind of come to be? Yeah, I think it was very organic. I mean, I think that, you know, that sort of creative woman discovered Maria's work yeah. very early on. And, you know, Maria has personal relationships with a lot of people in the world, in the art world, as do I. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very, it is a very organic process. Yeah. And it's, I think what Maria does appeals, again, it's about being, having a sort of independent streak. Um, it's also about not really looking like anybody else. Yeah. And I went to a talk last night, actually, at um, the New Museum, and there's an artist mm-hmm. called Tomashi Jackson, and who was um, was talking with um, Shabalala Self and Diedrich Brackens, and they mm-hmm. all have a, a practice that's sort of concerned with Uh, to some extent with textiles um, or quilting or that sort of concept. And they were discussing the influence of Faith Ringgold on their work. And anyway, Tomashi Jackson was wearing one of our jumpsuits. And, you know, it just feels like, okay, that's an, and I was sitting there looking at her wearing it. I thought, yeah, this absolutely makes sense based on what she was talking about her practice and her process and how she works and how she thinks about the way she works and I just thought I don't know it just all made a lot of sense so yeah there's a lot of clients like Simone Lee is a client Cindy Mm, Sherman is a client um oh I could go on yeah yeah but a lot of gallery directors you know exactly just a lot of yeah yeah, women working in in the arts artists as well but yeah that's really that's cool Um, and you guys are producing all of your collection in New York City or some portion of it we produce as much as we can here. There are certain categories that are very hard to produce here. Knitwear is one of them. It's yeah. very difficult to produce knitwear in small quantities here in New York, mm-hmm. unless you're really doing very artisanal things. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's hard. And then we, you know, we produce some uh, some jerseys in uh, Japan and also in Turkey. Okay. But vast majority of what we produce is made here in New York. Yeah. And um, the things that are not made 
made in New York are all made by very small factories that we've had a long relationship with over many, many years yeah. um, in Bolivia. There's one factory in China that we work with for knitwear, um, but they have a design office here in New York that we work closely with. So we're very, you know, we're loyal to the people we work with. Yeah. We tend to keep going back. And, you know, That's Maria's great. always believed, you know, you invest a lot of effort at the beginning of a relationship yeah. in helping whoever it is, the the factory or the the mill understand you know her design ethos which is not as I said it's not quite often it's not traditional and so often they need to get their head around the way she cuts the way she thinks creatively and so you invest a lot of effort at the beginning of that process so you shouldn't abandon it gratuitously you know you need to keep building on it and keep reinvesting in it. Yeah. And nurturing it. I just watched a documentary yesterday. It's, I mean, it's a documentary short. It's called Invisible Seams. Have you heard about this? It just, um, yeah, it just released. You can, I mean, find it, I guess on like YouTube, uh, the CFDA wrote about it and Diet Prada. And then I, I watched it yesterday, but it's a really thoughtful documentary just about the Asian community, um, seamstresses, production facilities, mostly in the garment district, um, and a little bit about these women who make our clothes and, you know, yeah. how they, how they got there and, um, you know, the ex- expertise involved. I should watch it. I mean, all of yeah. our, I think all of our factories are actually owned by people from mostly Korea, I think some yeah. uh, from China, yeah. but they are extraordinary. And yeah. those factories are real enterprises. And I'm very proud. We're still there in, in, you know, in the garment district in That's Midtown. So nice. And, you know, and I think there've been efforts, you know, along the way to, <laughs> to redevelop that area. I mean, inevitably it's right in the center of Manhattan yeah. and to, you know, sort of encourage the garment center to move to, encourage is a polite word yes of course. Uh, <laughs> to move to other locations whether it be Long Island City or Sunset Park but you know there are challenges you know these women are coming from all over the place they're coming yeah. some from New Jersey from the yeah. Bronx from yeah. Flushing from yeah. everywhere and you know the garment district you know the transportation you know yeah. is, is well set up you know yeah. but, and the garment district is not just factories it's also all the vendors of the materials yeah. that go into making a garment, whether it's zippers, whether it's trims, whether it's, yeah. you know, garment racks, whether it's hangers, um, you know, people who print the labels that go in the yeah. back of the garment. So many everything's there. People, so yeah. many small businesses are all centered right there, not to mention the fabric agents and the yeah. fabric houses. So it's quite hard to sort of imagine building out a whole new um, ecosystem somewhere else and to do it, especially in a location that does not have a good transportation hub would be very, very, very difficult. So, um, you know, there are big challenges working there. I know that right now during after COVID, a lot of the people who were working in the factories have moved on to other you know, other careers in some mm. way or shape or form or have moved away or because you know, the there's a lot production of dropped during the pandemic. Yes. So. And and so now it's very difficult, you know, for a lot of those factories to to find people to work in the factories. And so, yeah. you know, it's challenging, but mm-hmm. it really is, you know, I think 
in the sort of summary of questions that you sent me, one of the words you used in connection with this was commitment. And I think it is really our commitment to continue Mm -hmm. to make as much as possible here in New York, as it has been right from the very beginning when Maria first started back in 98. Yeah, that's amazing. What, um, what year did you join the team and partner with, with Maria? Uh, we started working together in 2005. Okay. Um, we've known each other since the 80s in London. Amazing. And I used to be a publicist in London. I used to have okay. a PR company and I represented a lot of, you know, amazing designers, um, super creative, fantastic yeah. um, people, you know, ranging from, you know, with Dries van Noten and Ander Mellemeister and Amazing. Vivian Westwood and Maria oh. and her then business partner, John Richmond, creative and mm-hmm. business partner. And they, you know, she was right out of college. It was, she yeah. was 22. Yeah. And they had this incredibly um, exciting brand called Richmond Cornejo. And they had stores all over uh, Japan. I mean, within two years of her leaving college, Crazy. she had this incredible business. And so I was their PR and that's how mm-hmm. she and I first met. And then eventually she moved to Paris and um, with her um, then husband, uh, Mark Baldwick. Mm-hmm. And so we remained friends and we had yeah. stayed friends all that time. And we moved to New York sort of roughly the same moment. And, you know, she had started the company in 98. And then after September 11th, you know, um, you know, and it was growing and she was starting to wholesale or somewhat reluctantly. Yeah. She didn't really want to do that yeah. at the beginning, but she was and it was starting to go well. And then September 11th happened and the company that was then backing her mm-hmm. decided to pull out of the American market altogether. Mm-hmm. And it was a struggle. I mean, she was yeah. really left on her own. Yeah. And eventually she said, you know, I don't know if I can keep doing this on my own. It's really yeah. hard. And um I had left what I was at that time doing. And um, so we started talking about the possibility of working together. And, you know, it was a conversation off and on for maybe a year or so. And then we sort of informally started working together in 2005. And then the beginning of 2006, we formed a new company as a partnership. And, you know, I've been doing it ever since. The rest is history. Um, And when did you guys open the Bleecker Street flagship? So we opened that at the beginning of 2009, January 2009. Such a good location, so central for downtown. Yeah, and you know, it's very... You know, we, we had been on, on Mott Street, as mm-hmm. you know, and we had opened a little tiny space in the West Village, actually, mm-hmm. on Greenwich and Jane Street. And what okay. was interesting about doing that was actually that it... It was the first, it, I likened it to us sort of poking our heads over the parapet and suddenly yeah. people were looking around going, oh, they have two stores now. Yeah. And so I think, you know, from having been this sort of little yeah. downtown independent yeah. brand that was in Nolita, that yeah. like so many others, suddenly yeah. we had two stores and it made people pay attention in a different totally. way. And so um, we actually, it's interesting, I still meet a lot of clients who tell me they discovered us there in the West Village. But then we desperately needed more space and we started casting around, should we get a separate office? Should we get somewhere that, you know, could be an office and then keep the store on Mott Street? And we just felt, as I was saying earlier, that that connection of the two sides was really important. So eventually we were one walking around and we looked at a lot of different places. We were walking down 
Bleecker Street. And yeah. we, I think Maria spot or driving in a taxi, and Maria spotted the sign, you know, the very discreet sign saying for rent. And it was this amazing space that um, had been a studio um, of a, a well-known photographer. It was huge. It was both sides of the mm. building where there's a yeah. gallery now next door. Yeah, yeah. And we were incredibly lucky to find that space. And our landlord has been the most wonderful person oh, and supported nice. us so much during COVID and that's was really so incredible. Nice. Yeah. And so, yeah. And again, we're a little bit of a pioneer. There's a lot of people who yeah. now moved onto that block. Yeah. But we love it. And we love the fact that it doesn't really look like a store. It still kind of looks like a studio. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. cool. It's, it's very kind of understated. Um, have you noticed an uptick in, uh, a certain kind of clientele recently with zero bond and all of these luxury buildings that have opened in, in the NoHo area? Yes. I, yeah, I suppose, you know, I think we've always attracted people that um, weren't necessarily from the immediate neighborhood. Yeah. Um, yeah. To some extent, I think, you know, I think over the past couple of years, I think a lot of those people actually disappeared from those totally. buildings. You know, they weren't there. Yeah. They all moved to, you know, yeah. the Hamptons or yeah. they moved upstate or they For moved, sure. you know, I don't know, to Florida. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> totally. to Palm Beach. Cool. So I don't know. I think it remains to be seen how much that's going to sort of shift and change. But, I, yeah. you know, we've noticed a lot of new clients relatively yeah. recently. So... Yeah. No, that area uh, seems quite, quite bustling right now. So you, you joined after, or, you know, you were working a little bit with Maria after September 11th. You obviously have been through the 2000, 2008 eight, financial eight. crisis. <laughs> yep. I should remember that I opened my store that year. And then now 20, you know, the 2020 pandemic crisis management, the, um, you know, worst thing, any, you know founder, president, CEO has to navigate. How did you get through the pandemic? Barely. Barely. The word. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. I, uh, to say the least. Yeah. I joke that, you know, Maria and I were both early adopters of COVID. We, um, I, we closed the, we closed down the store on, and the office on March 16th. And on March yeah. 17th, I woke up with COVID. Crazy. And so that was yeah. really great to yeah. be navigating all of that without any, you know, it was weird. Because Scary and sick and yeah, all of that. Yeah. And sort of having to be on the phone every day. How do we do this? Who do we furlough? How yeah. do we continue to pay people's health insurance? Can yeah. we? Who do we really need to have on the team? You know, who are the key people yeah. that need to sort of be on, even if everybody else has to be furloughed? Yeah. So it was very challenging speaking to clients every day. Are you, you know, what are you doing? Are you okay? Are you, yeah. people were canceling orders. Fabric had, you know, had just started to arrive. Totally. A lot of our production was all ready to ship. We couldn't ship it. Then the factories closed down. So even yeah. if we'd wanted to produce things, we couldn't. Yeah. They were such you know, everything a nightmare. Was shut. No, just it crisis, was crazy. crisis on every. It was every, crazy. Yeah, branch of the business front, on every front, and then yeah. you know navigating, applying for the loans, and yeah. it was really crazy. So yeah. um, I think that that was just a day to day thing, and I think yeah. Maria and I had more than one conversation where we said, oh my God, are we really going to be able to keep going yeah. through this? How are we going to do it? It was hard. Of it was course. really hard. Yeah. And we don't, you know, because we do make everything here in New York, we didn't really 
have the flexibility of being able to say, well, let's just design it. And then they can be still making it in whichever part of the world was not at that time shut down. Right. So it was, it was difficult. Um, Very challenging. And obviously the store was closed. We had always planned, we, we tend to do one big sort of sample sale a year. That was always where we used to do it. We used to do one physical one and one online and that was already scheduled. So I called our, retail director about three weeks in and I said you know do you think we can do it she said oh yeah I'm already planning that we're going to do it and what was incredible was that the clients were so extraordinary I sent an email to everybody saying you know we're we're doing this it's a awful crazy moment but um you know it's because of people like you that we will still you know be in business and they responded in spades it was incredible it was nice to see really gratifying rally yeah Yeah. that's very and then you know I saw um I remember being at um at one of the protests and I bumped into someone who was a client um she was a curator at a museum and I said oh how are you doing I said well I don't know you know it's still unclear whether we'll be able to make it through yeah I said, oh, God, you've got to, you've got to. What you do is so special and so unique. And if anybody can make it through or should make it through this period, it should be you guys. And so it just sort of gave me um, hope and gave me a sense of, um, yeah, and a a sense of uh, the reason why we should be still doing this. Absolutely. Yeah, persevere. 20 years in business, that's super impressive. What's what's the... 24, More, 20, 25, 24. 24 yeah. Oh my gosh. What's the, what's the secret? I think it's a commitment. I think, you know, Maria and I, even though we get frustrated with it, I think neither of us are afraid of bootstrapping. You know, yeah. I think we look around ourselves, we look at each other during this period and think, oh my God, do we have to go back to the beginning again, which is really yeah. what it has felt like in many yeah. respects after COVID yeah. because we've shrunk obviously a lot. And yeah. so it's been very challenging to get it back but you know I think we both are well experienced at that I think the other thing is that we've never had it's a blessing and it's a curse but we've never had outside backing yeah and so super impressive it's our decision you know whether or not we continue or not it isn't up to anybody else it isn't up to you know somebody who wants a quick return yeah no, having true yeah. authority and autonomy on that is yeah. Amazing. And I think that there's a level of trust. I also just think that it's a commitment to still be true to you know what we both believe in. And I know that you know you're going to speak to Maria too, and she will say that. And yeah. you know, I think that that's ultimately what people respond to is they it, it resonates for them. That no, it's you know. it's uh, it's sincere and authentic for sure. So many brands, you know, pivoted during this time, started a you know bigger DTC business, etc. You guys already have your direct channels with your stores and your site. What's your relationship to your wholesale accounts these days? Are you are you scaling that back? Have you doubled down? Well, I mean, the biggest wholesale clients client was always Barney's and late lamented still missed they closed down in October of 2019 just before COVID so it felt already as though it was this huge challenge yeah we have never been traditionally a an obvious department store brand Yeah. yeah I think that our client 
best responds to us in an environment where the sales associate yeah. can have a more personal relationship. No, you're a boutique brand for with sure. The client. Yeah. And so we are in Bergdorf Goodman and yeah. we are doing very well there right. and you know building that business back up. I mean yeah. they had a long closure and so that was challenging. But we're there and we are in fantastic specialty stores around yeah. the country. And yeah. honestly, those stores have been so strong during this period. Yeah. They're, they continue to so impress me. I go and do trunk shows at, yeah. all over the place. And, you know, in Virginia, in Minneapolis, all over yeah. the place. And those, the relationship that they have with their yeah. clients that, yeah. you know, is so powerful and so important. And I think was was confirmed and reconfirmed and solidified during this last two year period. So that's really our, that's our natural wholesale environment. Yeah. But our online business has been growing a lot. Um, our own, yeah. you know, direct online business and our retail store, I'm happy to say is, you know, building back up, you know, right. people are back in New York, they're rediscovering us, new people are coming, you know, I yeah. think it's all shifted a lot, you know, a lot people of clients shop we again. Have. Yeah, people want they to go do. To stores. Oh, definitely. There's not that definitely. Yeah, barrier definitely. anymore. That's so nice. All right. So, you know, the future of fashion, everything has shifted so much. Things are continuing to shift. You know, we all talk about Web3 and the metaverse and so many things every day. How, how do you feel about where things are going? Do you feel optimistic? How do you how do you feel? I always feel optimistic about fashion because I think it brings so much joy. And I think it, at the end of the day, it's about women and men's ability yeah. to express themselves yeah. and to present, you know, who they are. And I don't know. I, I think that it's going to evolve. I, this virtual environment, I don't know quite what it's going to be. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily immediately relevant to who our client is today yeah uh, I think it may well become relevant to a different generation yes yeah. but for us right now I don't know that it will but the one thing I do know is that human beings are social people and yeah. they crave connection to each other they crave the tactile I think that um, you know something you see in art right now actually is that there's so much although there's all this talk about NFTs yeah. on the other end of that is a resurgence of textile art of ceramic craft, art there is yeah. so much and craft yeah. and there is so much of that work right now that is yeah. all about making with yeah. the hands you know that that's something a that return to a is, tactile yeah yeah so yeah. I think there'll be a counterpoint so yeah. yes there'll be a virtual world but there yeah. will also and very importantly be you know driving and vital yeah. physical real life world. of fashion of yeah. clothing yeah absolutely Fantastic. I was just in Senegal last week and mm. my god I said to Amazing. the girls when I came back I said if anybody's interested in fashion you should yeah. just go there right away and look at those you know people men and women how yeah. fabulously everybody is dressed oh, I love that. young old yeah traditional no, you know young experimental it's amazing very cool well thank you so much for joining me thanks Krista Good to see you. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye.